0: Hello and welcome to the weekly Album Anniversary Recap Show for the week of November 11th through November 17th. I am your host Caleb or Caleb the Spy on Twitter and Instagram. Every day on those social media sites I post about what I call album anniversaries or it's just the anniversary of the album's release date. A couple years ago I created a calendar and documented the release dates of some of my favorite albums then I would celebrate those albums on that day. I might post something about them online, or just take the opportunity to re-listen to the album. But in the last year, the list of albums has grown significantly, and now I have every album I own tracked on my calendar, as well as a multitude of albums others have suggested. With so many albums and a limited number of characters, I don't always have the chance to say everything I want to about an album on social media. So. Started this podcast so that I could take about a half hour every week to talk about and take a closer look at some of my favorite albums and posts from the week. Occasionally, we will talk about some news or we might take a look at some new music, but mostly we're here to talk about the album anniversaries. So, with that out of the way, let's talk about some news. I want to talk about the Lean Years Tradition, which is an album by Model Engine. I think I mentioned last week or the week before that this album is being remixed and is going to be available on streaming for the first time and you can find the 1997 mix already out there on Bandcamp. So I was excited to be able to point people to that album. I wanted to mention again that it is kind of available in the digital age for the first time and everyone really should go check out that album and I'm really excited to hear the new mix as well but Go support those those smaller artists. I'm excited to hear more from Jeremy Post. I'd love to see Black Eyed Siva and Model Engine on those streaming services. The other thing I did want to talk about is some new music that I've actually previously talked about that I just wanted to circle back on. It's History Books by the Gaslight Anthem. I gave this kind of a lukewarm review, and I just wanted to mention that every time I listen to this album, it grows on me. So much so that I went out and bought it on vinyl, and it's probably moved into the number one spot for my favorite album of 2023. So I know I told people to go check it out, but as I've listened to it more, I really, really have enjoyed this album, so I'm really going to make that encouragement. Go check that album out, History Books by the Gaslight Anthem. All right, let's jump into some of these album anniversaries. First off, I do want to say that I'm taking just a slightly different approach with some of these. Previously, I'd just been kind of picking some of the favorite ones from the week, and these are all still albums that I enjoy, but I'm instead going to focus on this podcast on albums that are kind of celebrating big anniversaries, something that ends in a zero or a five, 10, 15, 20, 25, so on. And I'm doing this for two reasons. One, I think it's going to help me pick a bigger variety or a larger variety of albums to review which I think will be nice just to not talk about the same thing over and over again. The second reason I'm doing this is because if this does turn into something that I do long term, I don't think people are going to want to hear me talk about the same Five Iron Frenzy albums every year. So instead, it kind of brings up, it kind of stretches out some of these albums and just gives a little more variety. So I'm not just jumping on the the first opportunity to talk about an album, but maybe waiting for a larger anniversary. So let's start this week by talking about the Insiders. If you don't know who the Insiders are, they are a Christian ska band out of Detroit, Michigan, who were probably most famous for their Scalaluya albums, but they were definitely considered one of the big three Christian ska bands, along with the Supertones and Five Iron Frenzy. The album I want to talk about is Fight of My Life, which came out sometime in November of 1998, so it was celebrating a 25-year anniversary. This album is an album I really enjoy. It's number 97 on my list of all-time favorite albums. And a couple of the songs that really stuck out to me or stand out to me are Jigsaw and The Hunted." Jigsaw is the opening track. It's a great punk rock song. It starts with some clean guitars. The horns, the, the whole band joins in. It's kind of interesting. It's got some interesting lyrics. It was also a great song live. But Jigsaw was always a favorite of mine. The other song is Hunted or The Hunted, and it's this hardcore ska mashup with a rap breakdown. So a lot of things thrown together. And you know, I'm not a huge hardcore guy, but this is kind of how I like some of my hardcore music is kind of in smaller doses and mashed up with some other things. I don't know if I'd want an entire album of this, but a couple songs on each album would I think works. And I think They did this more than some of those other ska bands, especially the Supertones and Five Iron Frenzy. And I feel like this really did help set them apart. It made them feel a little different. They had a little more hardcore edge. They had a little more metal edge. And their lead singer, Joe Yerke, his voice really fits this. It it fits this better than maybe definitely then the supertones who were a little bit more poppy and five iron frenzy who i don't think reese's voice necessarily fits that hardcore metal voice unless it's uh extreme hair metal and screaming like a girl so yeah i always liked when the insiders did this kind of style on their albums it it always felt like it worked pretty well for them Another song that I think is pretty interesting is Trinidad, which is just a fun instrumental. Towards the end of the album, they do a Cars cover of Just What I Needed, which is a great cover. I like the Cars already, and this is just a great song by the Cars, and it's also, their cover version is really great too. Totally worth checking out. A pretty interesting song. Uh, Another song that's worth noting is Paradise, which was the lead single, and it's a good song too. I've, I've always liked kind of some of those other songs better. So that's uh, Flight of My Life by The Insiders. The other Insiders album I wanted to talk about was Soundtrack to a Revolution, which came out in 2003. This is my favorite Insiders album. It's number 38 on my all-time favorite album list. And this is the album that I really feel like they found their sound. They found their voice. This album was produced by a member of the Suicide Machines, which is another Detroit ska punk band. And I just feel like they really found that kind of ska core sound, and this album is only ten songs, six of them are absolute the first six especially are just just killer tracks, and then the album really finishes well. the last two are great songs as well. The only song on here that I think is kind of forgettable is the song "Better Half." But everything else on this album is just so great it's again, it's already a little short because it's only ten songs, but this album just flies by. It is one of those albums that you get to the end and you can easily hit play again and just go through it again because everything is so good you don't really want it to end, and that's what I like about kind of short, tight albums. You get done and you're ready to listen again. Unfortunately, I think this album was pretty overlooked and again it released it released late in two thousand three. And by early 2005, they had announced that they were breaking up. I do believe they toured in 2004. I believe I saw them in 2004. But Scott was dying or dead by 2003, and it was totally in the grave by 2005. And I just don't think this album got the recognition it deserves, because they just weren't around very long after it. They didn't tour much on it, and then they kind of disappeared. So again, uh, Soundtrack to a Revolution came out in 2003, celebrating a 20-year anniversary, and my favorite Insiders album, absolutely worth checking out. Next, let's talk about Squint by Steve Taylor, which came out in 1993. This is number 37 on my favorite albums list. So I think we talked about number 38 and number 37, which is pretty uh, pretty funny. This is a really important album for me, a little bit of background. I was raised in a Christian household, but I wasn't raised in a household that you listen to Christian music necessarily. My dad listened to Bob Dylan and the Beatles and the Moody Blues, Derek and the Dominos, and those were the albums that I was raised on. My mom liked Peter, Paul, and Mary, and NPR was on all the time, but we were not a household that listened to Christian music. So when I was in fifth grade, I was listening to the pop station in the area. I was raised in Minnesota, so KDWB, if you are uh, familiar with the radio stations around the Twin Cities area, and just like every one of my classmates, I was listening to the pop station, and I started to feel convicted that that some of the lyrics and some of the content of these songs was probably not that good for me to be hearing, so I kind of quit listening to the pop radio station, and for a couple years, I just really didn't listen to any music of my own. In seventh grade, we joined a church, and shortly after that, they hired a youth pastor. And my youth pastor was super into the 80s Christian music. So Petra, he was a huge Petra fan. White Heart, my guess is he listened to Striper, although I don't feel like we were introduced to that. Uh, he also listened to Jeff Moore in the Distance, and just some of those, those albums and those artists. And for me, it was great. I was super excited to listen to these Christian rock artists that was pretty contemporary music, and I was excited about it. But he also introduced us to Steve Taylor, and that for me was a huge, huge moment because Steve Taylor was kind of more of that alternative sound. He definitely wasn't that mainstream rock sound, and it just gave us another option that wasn't these... 80s rock bands or DC Talk or Michael W. Smith or Twilight Paris. It just gave us another option, me and my friends. And from here, we, you know, and the news, those early Newsboys albums were also a part of this. But from here, this was our transition to Tooth and Nail and Five Minute Walk, realizing that there were some other things out there. So I know this is not like a crazy alternative uh, album, but it was just enough to kind of push us a little. Further that way, uh there's also just interesting things that I've learned since then, like I recently listened to um his appearance on the instrumental podcast, and he mentioned that the clash for his may his biggest musical inspiration and for me that was you know the clash are my second favorite band and that just kind of also just helped me solidify like oh yeah you can see his satirical approach to lyrics the way he is biting in his lyrics and also a bit of his willingness to play with genre and do a little variety in his in his genre in all of his albums and kind of jump from one genre to the next and that is that's the clash for sure after their first two albums they did that a ton on their later records so let's talk about some of these songs but i thought that was pretty interesting to find out that uh, one of his major musical influences has turned into one of my favorite bands so uh the first song is the lament of desmond r R.G. Underwood Frederick IV. I don't even know why I'm trying to say it. I'm gonna mess it up but it's a great opening song. The guitars come in hot. It's got some nice organ work in it that kind of holds a lot of it together. Bannerman, Smug, uh, Moshing Floor all kind of really solid. I want to call them almost power pop because they are yes they're alternative rock songs but they've got this pop connection, I think. And I I feel like he still does have a very strong pop sensibility that comes through on those songs. Uh, More organ work on a couple of those. Banner Man's just a weird song. Smug is a goofy song. They're just weird songs. And I think that really appealed to me. That really i really connected with that just not standard not normal songs jesus is for losers was a controversial song when it came out but it's i think wonderfully moody and even melancholy and it's a song with a great message but he definitely got in some trouble for that song when it first came out uh the finish line and curses are also just great dark brooding alt rock songs I really like the finish line. I think I like it even more as I have aged and as my faith has changed and my uh, faith has gone through struggles, I think the finish line may actually mean more to me now. The final song on the album is Cash Cow, which is just this great closing song. It's weird. It's unique. It's interesting. And if you think the song is weird, go check out the video for it on YouTube definitely a weird snapshot into what if into the mind of uh Steve Taylor but a uh, great song great closing song song absolutely rips it's a kind of a rock opera in three parts but it it just is a great song uh like i mentioned earlier there was a, an appearance on the instrumental podcast that Jeremy Wingret and i'm sorry if i said your name wrong he mentioned and i went back and listened to And on that podcast, it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he's not much of a musician. And so I think he kind of arranges a lot of these songs and he writes the lyrics, obviously. But on this album, that plays out in that I think you have the right people around him. This album, I'm no musician, so maybe I'm way off, but it it sounds like the musical performances are just really tight. They're really well performed. So I think that was interesting to hear on that podcast. Very musically solid. I think the other thing that's really interesting is just how musically diverse this album is. And I think that ties back to the Clash thing a little, that he's kind of playing with genres. He's jumping around a little. And what's interesting to me about that is that although this album is very musically diverse, it also, because of the lyrical themes and the way he presents his lyrics this album feels very, very cohesive to me. So it still feels like this cohesive unit, even though there's so much variety. So, anyway, that's Squint by Steve Taylor from 1993. Great album, still a really important album to me personally. Next, let's talk about an album that celebrated its 20 year anniversary, and that's the Black Album by Jay Z. So we're going to swing to the total other end of the spectrum, but this is why I want to highlight some of these albums that are celebrating bigger anniversaries, because I'm hoping to get a wider variety of albums on the show. This album is marketed as his last album, and it turned out to not be true at all, but I thought that was really interesting. It's also his eighth album in seven years, if I was counting correctly, which also is just an amazing output to put out eight albums in seven years is pretty incredible. So I don't know if it was marketed as that as he just needed a break and wanted to take some time off. So he marketed this album as his last album, but pretty interesting. The album, the production on this album is absolutely top notch. It's really, really diverse. There's a lot of big names on it. Uh, Pharrell was on this album he was huge at the time Rick Rubin produced a lot of this album and maybe even did some of the production uh, with the beats and and different things like that this album was also the introduction for a lot of people to Kanye West and Ben made the comment on Twitter that uh, this album is great because it was the intro it introduced the world to Kanye and this album is horrible because it introduced the world to Kanye but I think for a lot of people this was their introduction to Kanye West and the again the production it's got some rock elements in it they all just feel cozy it all just feels like it fits even though it's kind of all over the place in a lot of ways it all feels like it fits together he gets some of the best producers and production people on uh these hip-hop albums and it really shows his flow is also really interesting and unique he uses a lot of different tempo and his lyricism on this album is really great It really shows that he is one of the best and he's really at the top of his game on this album the verse that i would point to that really shows his his talent and how of a unique of an artist he can be and is is the second verse on 99 problems where he's talking about getting pulled over it's such a Unique flow. He plays with vocabulary. He plays with pronunciation. It's so well done. He's kind of playing these two characters off against each other, but he just paints this very vivid picture. The story is very, very clear. You always know who's talking, but it's just done so well. It's a great example of what really great flow and how you can use just your pronunciation and your lyricism to really you know point across so that i think this is worth calling out on this album uh one of the first singles was change clothes it has pharrell on it and it's kind of a weird first single it's actually one of my least favorite songs on the album but i think they they wanted to use it because again pharrell was such a big uh name at the time i think he had just produced or just dropped the pop it like it's hot with uh i think that's what it's called with snoop Dogg. so One of my favorite songs on this album is Moment of Clarity. 99 Problems is also a great song. There's also some real odd things on this album. There's just a sample. uh, I want to call it a sample of the movie Gladiator. It's really just a 30 second clip from the movie, which is just kind of funny. It's not played with at all. It's just played straight. That always makes me kind of giggle. His mom is on the album. So it's got some funny things in it as well, but uh, it's a really solid hip-hop album if you want to go a little deeper into that genre. You do have to get past the cursing if that's something you're not interested in. It does have a fair amount of that on the album. Uh, Let's transition here to... Ghost Thief by Living Sacrifice. This came out in 2013 and again hitting some of these big anniversaries. This one celebrating 10 years and I wanted to talk about this album because I wanted to kind of dive into a metal album. I don't think I've talked about any other metal albums on the podcast so I thought this would be a good opportunity to do that. It does look like this is their most recent album, and I don't know if they have plans to do more or if they're kind of done as a band, but I thought that was kind of interesting. They haven't really done anything in the last 10 years. A lot of people mentioned the opening track, uh, Screwtape, as a solid opener and their favorite album, uh, song on the album. Uh, Ryan Clark is on it. I believe he's from Demon Hunter, and yeah, it's a great little song. It's a great opening track. I think the second track, Ghost Thief, the title track is also really, really good. And just in general, I really, really enjoyed this album. I don't really have anything negative to say. A couple things I did notice is this album feels a little bit more like uh, just straight metal instead of metalcore. Uh, I've always categorized metalcore, and maybe this is just my ignorance, as kind of having more of those melodic and a little more polished choruses. And this album still has a lot of the growling uh and just more of that growling throughout the entire album and doesn't always transition to those more melodic moments. It does have them. Um, straw man has a melodic opening and then some melodic moments in the chorus, but I, I noticed that I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it was in the middle of sudden that I realized I suddenly realized that I just really was enjoying this album. That's about the halfway mark of the album. I was really enjoying it. It's not something I'm going to listen to every day, but if I'm in the mood for metal, I feel like I may need to check out some more Living Sacrifice al- Living Sacrifice albums. But yeah, really enjoyed this, and it was very interesting. I like the last song as well. Um, I also like that it was only about 45 minutes. I think any longer than that, and I'm going to lose interest in a metal album. So 10 songs, 45 minutes, seems about right. So those were some of the albums that I wanted to take kind of a deeper dive into. There are a handful of item of albums that I do want to mention. And there's a lot of them right now because this is kind of, I feel like July through November. There's just a lot of releases. When we get into January, there's just so many less That I probably won't, probably will highlight some of the big ones, and I I probably won't have a whole lot of leftovers. Uh, We'll see how it looks in January, but there are a lot of leftovers that I just had to leave behind because otherwise this would get too long. So let's go through a couple of those real quick. Uh, One of them is my favorite album of all time. Our newest album ever was celebrated during this week, released in 1997. It is still my favorite album of all time. I was going to list all the songs I enjoyed and I realized I was pretty much listing the entire album. But a couple to note is, uh, one is Fistful of Sand. A number of people mentioned that as a favorite of theirs, and Five Aaron actually tweeted back to a couple, uh, at least more, I think it was just one person, tweeted back saying that they're trying to work that back into their live sets, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And for me, Every New Day is still my favorite song. I think I listened to this twice on its album anniversary date, because I love this album still. Join the Triumph by Citizens or Citizens and Saints. I Don't know what to call them. I don't know what they go by anymore, and I feel like it flip-flops every so often. This was released in 2014. I believe it's their second album. They may have had some other smaller releases in between then uh, before their first two, but I believe they're self-titled, and then this were their first two albums. And I love this album. It's a wonderful pop worship album. Their first album is very, very good, and this one just kind of upped some of the synth pop feel on a number of places on this album and I love it. I really love both of their first out al- their first two albums. But this album has a number of moments that you just feel like you can crank up the volume and sing along. Uh You Brought Me Back to Life, which I think was the first single, but is just a great sing along song. Uh, we definitely have cranked that one up high in the in the car and had the kids sing along to it. I really like their first two albums, and I think that's the highlight for me. Everything that they have put out since then has not quite lived up to those first two albums, in my opinion. But I would absolutely encourage anyone to check out. Their newest stuff is good, it's just not as good as these first two albums. And I would absolutely encourage people to go check out those first two. Let's talk about Less Than Jake. First is Losing Streak, which came out in 1996. And then the second album that they had come out during this week was See the Light, which came out on 2013 in 2013 i actually think these both came out on the same day uh just different years obviously losing streak was my introduction to less than jake and i still love every song on this album their ska punk flair is just great and it really comes through on this album i really love this album it still is one i can listen to i'd love to be able to try and get it on vinyl and uh, it's not my favorite album by them anthem is still my favorite album by them but i love it if you like the ska punk stuff i think losing streak is a must own in my opinion uh, See the Light came out in 2013, and it was just okay. I I don't love that album. I thought it was kind of forgettable. All right, let's talk about Certainty by Aaron Sprinkle, which came out in 2021. This was just a five-song EP, I suppose. I, only five songs is probably an EP. But every song on it is great, and it's absolutely worth checking out. So if you're not familiar with Aaron Sprinkle, he produced a ton of tooth and nail albums in the 2000s he was in poor old lou he was in fair he was in rose Bo- rose blossom punch i can never say that correctly and you should definitely get uh, get to know aaron sprinkles uh catalog next one we're going to talk about is mxpx's live album from 2021 this is uh something about live in san antonio i can't remember the exact title uh, I just wanted to mention this because it's just such a great mix of songs. If you're going to do an, a live album, this is the way to do it. I think it has a song from every album and just a great mix of songs. So hats off to them for putting out an album that a live album that fans could really, really enjoy. So I that's why I wanted to bring that one up. Uh, let's talk about David Bowie's self-titled album. Even though it's self-titled, it's often referred to as Space Oddity, and it came out in 1969. This album is interesting, one, because of just where David Bowie went and how unique he got, but this album is fairly straightforward, and it's, it's a great little classic rock album. The other fairly interesting part of this album for me is that for years, I thought it was Space Odyssey. It's Space Oddity. I am very, very smart. Alright, next, I predict 1990, which is a Steve Taylor album from 1987, which is not confusing at all. So two Steve Taylor albums that we're going to talk about. And this one, just to note, is that it is it was the last of his uh, Christian albums uh, that he put out. He had signed a record contract, so he did one EP and then three albums in the 80s. And then he was kind of done with Christian music for a little bit. And I think this album kind of upset people. The lyrics are pretty legendary for how much they frustrated people. And he admitted on that podcast that it did not sell quite as well as his other albums. So I think he was feeling a little done with the Christian market and then he would eventually come back in. But, uh, this was his, his last of that, that first set of them. And I love the new wave sound on this album. It's absolutely great. Next, let's talk about the album where quantity is job one. And no, this is not the five iron frenzy EP, quantity is job one this is where quantity is job one by the canadian punk band propagandy which came out in 1998 so if you're doing the math it's a couple weeks after the five iron frenzy ep no relation as far as i know just two groups of people who thought up the same joke and thought it was kind of funny to do this is a pretty solid punk uh album there are some rough spots there's lots of cursing if that's not your thing What's really interesting about this EP is that it's 30 songs and over an hour long. I think they're calling it an EP because it's got a bunch of live cuts in between songs. But just kind of hilarious to me that I looked and I was like, oh yeah, it's considered an EP and it's an hour long. I would never consider that an EP, but there you go. I think it's their most well-known uh, album. Next is Speakeasy by Saker, which came out in 1999. This, along with Squint, probably got the the biggest reaction of the week. This is an album that clearly people still love. A lot of people commented that it's still an album they listen to regularly. 24 years later, it is my favorite album by Stave Saker. Side A is astonishing. It's absolutely perfect. So if you have not uh, if you have not listened to Speakeasy, you you should. Put that on right after we're done with this, because it is absolutely a great album. Uh, let's talk about Americana by Offspring. Uh, they also came out in 1998, so celebrating 25 years. And yes, this is the album with that song Pretty Fly for a White Guy, but don't let that ruin it uh, for you. The rest of the album is, pretty so- is a pretty solid punk album. Deluxe by Better Than Ezra came out in 1993. You may remember this album for the hit single, Good. It was a great 90s alt-rock sing-along song. I would sing it for you, but nobody wants that. And what I think is interesting about this album is it came out in 1993, but Good was not actually a big hit until the album was re-released in 1995 and Good was released as a single. So I think that's pretty hilarious. Came out in 1993, or not hilarious, it's interesting came out in 1993 and then became a huge hit in 1995. And then the last album I want to mention, and maybe the least album I want to mention, so last and maybe least, is Bob Dylan's 1973 Dylan, which is celebrating 50 years, which is pretty impressive, but it was a fairly poor, poorly received Bob Dylan album. I think it was the end of his record contract somebody mentioned and so it had a lot of leftovers from other albums that was just kind of thrown on there. It still got some interesting cuts but fairly poorly received uh, as Dylan albums go. So that's it for the week of November 11th through November 17th. The music you hear at the beginning and the end of the show is the instrumental version of Sing It Out at Street Level by Peg and the Rejected which is the uh band the dingies but just doing ska songs so they have a number of different uh projects that they work on and the Peg and the rejected is their ska album that they put out it's got a bunch of great songs on it so you should go check out anything by the dingies you should check out anything by Peg and the rejected so thank you for joining me this week let me know what you think what did i get right what did i get wrong what are your favorites from the week uh, you can find me on Twitter at Caleb CalebTheSpy with no spaces. You can find me on Instagram at Caleb CalebTheSpy with underscores. And you can email me at Caleb Podcast at gmail.com. That has no spaces or underscores. Please subscribe and share the podcast. If you're so inclined, leave a rating or review. I have heard that that is one of the most effective ways to spread the word about podcasts. And most of all, thank you if you engage on any of my social media posts. I do put a lot of time into setting up those daily posts, so I really do appreciate when people respond. And it's always exciting to see people uh, just get really excited about an album or remember an album or just get to talk with somebody else about it. So I'm always thrilled to see people responding. So thanks again for listening to any or all of this show, and we will talk to you next week.